It is my privilege to uh, preach God's word to you today, a privilege that I do not take for granted, but I'm in humble awe of being able to do that. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 6. I'd encourage you to turn there and follow along. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures today, and I would encourage you to have your uh, Bibles handy so that you can uh, thumb through and read those passages as we read them together. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, speak to us today through your word, and Lord, simply teach us to pray. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. We are in a series on prayer here at St. Andrews, um, and today we begin looking at the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. As we begin with the first phrase from Matthew's account of this prayer, Our Father in Heaven, let's not forget the statement found in Luke that is our series title, Lord, Teach Me to Pray. Just prior to giving his disciples this prayer, Jesus tells them how not to pray. So apparently there was a lot of error when it came to the practice of prayer in Jesus' time. I wonder what he might say to us or to the religious leaders in our time about the way we pray. As we begin this series, let's assume that there might be room for improvement in how we address God in prayer. Maybe we, like the religious community of Jesus' day, have missed the mark a bit when it comes to praying. And maybe, just maybe, if we humble ourselves to the teaching of God's word through the power of his spirit, over the coming weeks, we can learn how to pray according to Jesus' instruction. In the opening phrase, called the preface in our catechism, as you might have remembered from earlier in the service, Jesus uses a personal pronoun that is both plural and possessive to lead off the prayer. He might have just said, Father in heaven, or the Father in heaven. But instead, the prayer that is to be a model for us begins, Our Father. This is wonderful news, for it provides that in turn, we are God's children. Many today would say that all humans, the entire human race, uh, are the children of God, that we are one big family and God is our Father. Even the popular uh, song that was popular a number of years ago, Let There Be Peace on Earth, states, with God as our Father, brothers all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. In one sense, we could say that as our creator and as the creator of our first parents, and consequently the whole human race, that we all emanate from God, that we are his created children. The prophet Malachi, in addition to other places in Scripture, even allude to this idea when, when Malachi says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? And while this is certainly one way in which God is referred to as father, even in the scriptures, it is not what Jesus or the writers of the New Testament 
have in mind when they speak of God as our Father. For God is not only our Creator, He is the Redeemer of His people. And it is this attribute that describes His fatherhood more than any other. The prayer before us is perhaps better described as the disciples' prayer. We find this prayer smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. These instructions, these truths, are for the sheep of his pasture. In addition to being possessive, this word our is also plural. We are to pray not only as those who belong to God, children coming to a father, but we should also pray corporately, understanding that we are part of a community As we pray, it should not only be about my personal relationship with God, but I should have one eye towards my union with the entire body of Christ. He is not merely my Father. He is our Father. And we are one in Him, as we will see in the next point. So how does our Father, the Creator, become our Father, the Redeemer? The Apostle John, in the opening passage of his gospel, where he so eloquently describes the Christ as the living word, the light of life, the Son of God, here John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in James chapter 1, we read, Of his, God's, own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In chapter 3 of John's gospel, Jesus proclaims in his famous discourse with the religious leader Nicodemus that you must be born again. Our Father is the creator and redeemer, and we, his people, are born of him. This is fundamental to understanding our relationship with God, for this gift of prayer belongs not to everyone, but to God's children. We see clearly in this example that Jesus gives us that communing with God, having an audience with him, coming into his presence is preceded by an established relationship. We must be born of him in order to claim him as our father. Secondly, our Father is Jesus' Father, and we are one in Christ. At the beginning of the prayer, Jesus establishes whom we are to direct our prayers to, the Father of Jesus Christ, the first person of the Trinity. This is the same one who Jesus, throughout his time among us, addressed as Father. In his high priestly prayer for his disciples in John 17, he addresses the Father no less than six times as well as many other places that we have recorded in his earthly ministry. When we say the Apostles' Creed together uh, during our worship services, we begin with, I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, to distinguish that person of the Trinity from the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is clear that in the Lord's Prayer, which is our model, we are addressing God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the Messiah, This isn't to say that we should never address the Son or Spirit in prayer, for there is scriptural evidence that we may address our prayers in that manner. 
Nor is it to say that when we address the Father that we are somehow excluding the Son and the Holy Spirit in our prayers. Jesus himself said that I and the Father are one. Orthodox Christianity has always stood on the biblical truth that there is only one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So yes, in a very real sense, when we pray to one person of the Trinity, we pray to all. And yet, Jesus instructs us here that we are to pray to the Father. Again, it cannot be overstated that the address is to our Father, not the Father. This is huge. This signifies a change in relationship with God and man. This change is only possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. For when Jesus went to the cross and died for us, completing the work of salvation, rising again from the dead to newness of life, he provided this magnificent gift, this change in relationship. From eternity past, God existed in relationship with his Son and the Holy Spirit. And the uniqueness of this relationship of God the Father with his Son is in the new covenant granted to God's people. Listen to the words Jesus spoke to Mary just after completing his work, just after his resurrection when he met her in the garden. In John 20, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus declared that a father-son relational status between God and his people had just been established. Paul gives us further explanation in Galatians chapter 3. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, speaking of the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There has been a change in relationship. Our Father is Jesus' Father. And we are one in Christ. Next, we'll see that our Father adopted us, and we are heirs with Christ. Paul loved the doctrine of adoption, didn't he, as we have seen over the last many months. His letters are full of this wonderful truth. Our Father must have understood that we would have a difficult time with this, and that we would need a lot of reinforcement on this subject. We covered this doctrine extensively in our recent study of Ephesians, in his letter to the Romans, Paul says in chapter 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What great news we have in this passage. All of us who are in Christ have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And it is by this spirit that we can cry out, 
a term of endearment that a child would cry out to their beloved father. And not only that, but we share with Christ his firstborn status as it pertains to our inheritance. I suppose that the predominantly male language in these passages, if not put into the right contextual framework, could be a stumbling block for some, preventing you from receiving the immense blessing that is found in this truth. So first, let's be clear that by calling God our Father, we are not assigning a gender to God. The scripture and Orthodox Christianity is clear on this subject. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not male, nor is he female. If your image of God is from one of the paintings of the Italian masters where God is depicted as an old man like Father Time with long white hair and a flowing beard, you need to get that out of your mind as soon as possible. We even teach our children here at an early age the answer to this question in the children's catechism. What is God? Kids, you know this out there. God is a spirit and has not a body like men. The moment we begin assigning physical attributes of our own imagination to God, then we have created a God in our own image, an idol, as the second commandment says. This puts artificial limits upon a limitless and eternal God. We address God as Father not because he is male, but because in his grace he reveals himself to us in a language we can comprehend. We all know instinctively what a good father looks like, how he interacts with his children. God declares this part of his nature to us when he tells us to pray, our Father. Secondly, in calling believers heirs as sons, the scriptures are in no way minimizing or excluding daughters or females. So why doesn't Paul say sons and daughters? Well, again, the Bible here is not concerned with gender. It is concerned with status. Remember we read earlier what Paul said in Galatians, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So why then use this exclusive language? Let's do a little exercise. First, I will submit that as far as we've come in raising the status of women in our society, we still have a long way to go, perhaps. But in any case, let's assume that we've come a long way in the Western world, at least that. And so let's just set aside 20th and 21st century Western civilization for a moment, this small microcosm of the history of humanity. Take yourself to another century, another millennia if you like, a different culture around the globe perhaps, even in today's society, a different culture. And imagine for a moment that your status is that of a woman within that society. What does that look like for you? In most cases, you're a piece of property, objectified. Your marriage is arranged for you. You have no part in your family's inheritance. You have no voice in society, no vote. No, all that belongs to the boys. And the best of that belongs to the firstborn boys. Is that fair or just? Of course not, but it's your status. Imagine now that you're in a family of 12 children and you're the youngest girl in that family. Yeah, things just got a lot worse, didn't they? 
for women or children or men who are downtrodden. For those who have both literally and figuratively found themselves at the back of the bus. For prisoners, for the impoverished, for flood victims, for slaves, for human trafficking victims. There is nothing more liberating than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes along and says, no, not in my kingdom. For in him we, those who call upon him in saving faith, have the status of firstborn sons. There is no pecking order in the kingdom of God, no hierarchy, no superior gender, no superior race, no superior nationality. We are all firstborn sons, joint heirs, are you ready for this? With God's only son, Jesus Christ. Is that status exclusive? Yes. It is. But people aren't excluded in the way that we in this fallen world exclude one another. All of us can have this exclusive status in Christ. Our Father adopted us, and we are heirs with Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope that the Lord is speaking to you through his word this morning and that you are finding new boldness in praying, a fresh desire to come before our Father as children who love him, because he first loved us. As important as it is to understand our relationship status to our Father, Jesus also wants his disciples to understand that our Father is unique. He is in heaven. He is the only, singular, one true God. This makes the reality of his fatherhood to us even more miraculous. For our God, as the psalmist tells us, is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. He is seated on high and looks down, far down on the heavens and the earth. Our call to worship earlier in the service declared, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies, Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. How amazing that we mere mortals can dare to call this one our Father. How amazing that we can have, have access to his heavenly throne room. Only a few paragraphs after Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, we have some more instruction on prayer in Matthew 7. Look ahead to there. These familiar verses. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? Our Father reigns from heaven, and we have access to him. What a comfort for God's people. For when we knock on the door of heaven, we will not be greeted with, sorry, nobody's home. 
We will not hear, I'm busy, come back later. We will not go directly to voicemail. Rather, we will find the door to the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords swung open wide to us. And on the receiving end of our request is the all-powerful creator with the inexhaustible storehouses of heaven and earth at his disposal. The giver of all good gifts will not give stones in place of bread or poisonous snakes for fish. He only desires good for his children and knows what is best for all of us. And yet, we have last week. There are those times, aren't there, where from our perspective, it seems as though heaven has been shut to us, as though our access card has been denied. And perhaps when we read the passage a moment ago, you thought to yourself, but Lord, what I'm going through right now, this sure feels like a stone. It sure stings like the bite of a venomous snake. Where are the good things you promised, God? Where has my Father in heaven gone? Our Father in heaven hasn't gone anywhere. He is still on his throne. But remember that as the one who sees from heaven's vantage point, his ways are not our ways. His perspective is eternal. Ours is temporal. His will is for our eternal good and his eternal glory. If we're honest with ourselves, our will generally is occupied with here and now. I'm not going to pretend that by uttering a few spiritual platitudes that those of you who are going through unimaginable suffering this morning are going to all of a sudden feel better or not struggle anymore. But what I can give you is truth. Truth and wisdom that is not mine, but from above, from our Father in heaven. Our Father loves us perfectly, and we are disciplined by him. Hear God's word from Hebrews 12, and I really would like you to listen to every phrase. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Remember our status? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you remember what we read earlier in Romans? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We as believers will share in the sufferings of Christ in this life as part of our sanctification, being made like him, being made holy. And as we think about the suffering that he endured on our behalf, why shouldn't we expect to? But the difference in ours and Christ's suffering is significant. Let me share some familiar phrases from Isaiah's prophecy about Christ's suffering that are very familiar to you. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Christian, listen to this truth. If you are in Christ, you will never suffer under the punishment of God. You will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus, the perfect one, took that punishment and took that wrath so that we, the offenders of God's holiness, would never have to experience it. Suffering in this life for the believer is not punishment. It's discipline. It is not for our detriment. It is for our good and for God's glory. Only our Father in heaven could do a miraculous thing like that. Our Father loves us perfectly and we are disciplined by him. And haven't we seen this taking place in our society this last week? How many of you have seen God glorifying himself in the last week? Anybody? Raise your hands. I've seen it everywhere. God's people are testifying to his glory. God is glorifying himself in and through what has just happened in our community. I think one of the universal parts of being a parent is that period of time when our children are growing up, when family members and even complete strangers pick who they look like, right? It starts the moment they're born. Oh, I think she looks just like her mother. Oh, I see our side of the family. I remember growing up with an adopted brother and a stepfather and having the very same experience. You and your brother look exactly alike, or you look just like your dad. Our family would nod, say thank you, and give each other a smile and a wink. And yet there is that aspect of resembling the folks that we live with, whether or not we're related by blood, isn't there? We learn family mannerisms, patterns of speech, and in many cases actually do begin to resemble one another with time. As children of God, do people remark upon our resemblance to the Father? 
Do they see the characteristics of our brother, Jesus, in us? This is the effect of our Father's discipline on us. As we read in Hebrews and Romans, it is to make us holy, pure, to yield the fruit of righteousness in our lives, and ultimately to be glorified with Christ. God is looking at our eternal good, not our temporal good. He is making us more like himself and our brother Christ and preparing us for the long haul. This brings us to our final point. Our Father is eternal, and we have hope in him. You may remember, and it's posted right here on the pulpit, that our theme verse for the year is 1 John 3.1. Listen to it in the context of what follows immediately after that. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. That should blow you away. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself and is pure. Oh, what a beautiful hope is ours. What a glorious promise we have. The older I get, I hear myself and my friends saying things like, I am becoming just like my dad. Or, I am my mother reincarnated all over again. Oh, beloved, that's nothing. You are becoming just like your Father in heaven. And you are becoming like your brother, Jesus Christ. If you're like me, you may be tempted to say, no, Mark, not me. You don't know the depths of my heart. You don't know the darkness that is there. You don't know the sins I struggle with. Maybe you feel like there is no progress in your spiritual journey at all. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Remember that the one who is in heaven, our Father, is eternal, and we have hope in him. So what further motivation do we need to commune with God than to understand that he is our Father in heaven? What child with a good and loving earthly father wouldn't want to go to their father for help, love, advice, and just to hang out? How much more have we seen that we who are in this desperate need in so many ways have access to the God of the universe as our Father, the one who can provide perfect and eternal solutions for all of those needs. Cry out to him today, Abba, Father. Open his word and allow him to speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Dutch Reformed theologian, Hermann Vitius, published a work on the Lord's Prayer in 1689 that I found very helpful in my preparation for this message today. He concludes the section on our Father in Heaven by quoting the early church father, John Chrysostom, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. From the moment that you said, Our Father, which art in heaven, the expression elevated you. 
gave wings to your thoughts, showed you that you have a Father in heaven. Do nothing. Say nothing that belongs to the earth. Has he raised you to that exalted rank? Has he admitted you to that society? Why do you degrade yourself? Lord, teach us to pray, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Oh God, we stand in awe before your word today at our adoption, at the reality of who we are in Christ. For we cannot begin to fathom it. We cannot begin to appreciate it, and yet it fills and swells our hearts with joy and gratitude. So thank you, our Father in heaven, for calling us your children to be your children, for saving us in Christ and his completed work on the cross, for making this gift possible. God, instill in us a desire to come to you, to run to you, to spend time with you, to be with you, our Father, who is in heaven. We ask this in the name of our Savior Christ. Amen.